Welcome to our post portfolio construction market summit wrap. Quite a mouthful. Uh, that's something that we're doing for our clients, but uh, we said that uh, PCF can use it uh, for their distribution list if they like. Um, so just be aware, I'm going to say a few complimentary things because I think it was a great conference. Uh, I give Graham a hard time sometimes in private, but that's not what this is about. But this idea of VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity that Graham brought to the fore at the onset of the uh, COVID crisis did prove to be prescient. And that seems to be the world that we've lived in. And when he first put uh, this concept, this VUCA prime concept, um, and you know, at first I was a little bit sort of worried that this would be one of these things that when you sort of uh, try and do something with certain letters to make an acronym, that it might not ring true. But actually, um, I think there is something in this because we keep on hearing uh, from a variety of sources about now that the dust has settled, opportunities are rising. And uh, we're supposed to be the cynics in the room. So it being a so-called stock pickers environment, you know, that's something that we should argue with. But... Uh, the way that Graham's reformulated this for this conference, vision, understanding, clarity and agility, some of that does ring true. Um, so that's one of the takeaways from the conference. First of all, there was evidence in some of the special interest forums, some of the breakaway sessions uh, where there's, you know, somewhere in the background, there's probably a product involved there, even though it's not mentioned by name, of opportunities uh, that, that, that are probably there. Um, and, and seem credible. So we're going to delve into that. But first of all, what were the, the sort of big themes? And, and again, you know, some of these things do ring true. Uh, higher for longer inflation. Well, that's the big debate, isn't it? And it feels like 2023 is the year that we're going to get to, to uh, get an insight into what the next decade is going to look like. Is some of this stuff going to hang around? And the zeitgeist has turned from probably not to maybe a little bit, even in the last few weeks. So, you know, highly topical. Um, there's obviously still this overhang of disruption, but it feels a little bit fizzy. I even thought some of the uh, presentations on sustainability seemed more, well, sustainable, actually. Um, and, and we're seeing that in the press as well. Um, ESG investing, impact investing has got to get real. It's got to be true to label. And, uh, and that's probably a positive thing. So let's have a little look at uh, how the day went. Uh, just an overview before I hand over to some of my colleagues for some of their takeaways and some comments on the specific sessions. Uh, so we had, starting off the day, three presentations and there were sort of different views of the world. You know, call them scenarios, if you will. One was quite pessimistic, quite, quite deflationary. One was a little bit more stagflationary. And one was sort of probably more embodying a consensus, a sort of muddle through scenario. So they, uh, they were sort of quite good grist for the mill to um, get the, uh, the, the day started. And then we had these sort of specialist interest forums. We're going to talk about them uh, later. But, you know, coming through that, uh, definitely a sense of opportunity among some of these things. Um, then we had some, some interesting uh, presentations, one in particular, which really uh, raised a lot of polemic um, about some of the sort of cultural issues that have fallen at the, the bottom of um, COVID. Not sure we can comment on that one because we don't want to be polemical. Just joking. Maybe we will. Um, and then uh, we got to the end. And uh, I think, you know, by the end of the day, there was a little bit of a consensus that there was opportunity out there. But a lot of thoughts to... Um, to process and one of the things that uh, probably um, was mentioned to us a lot is what do we do with this information so we're going to make a little bit of a start in this and um, some of my colleagues are going to talk about some of their insights and how they see some of these ideas maybe landing in portfolios so Phil uh, yeah we had a really good day at uh, portfolio construction uh, I think we had similar ideas about some kind of a matrix thing but I really liked how you pulled in earnings and also some of those sort of 
product ideas as well. But um, yeah, take us take us through your uh, takeaways at a macro level, and then how how we tend to sort of roll in some of these product ideas. Yeah. So I mean, one of my key takeaways from the um, conference was that there seemed to be this sort of underlying undercurrent that you know at some level there's a consensus brewing that you know interest rates and inflation will moderate, earnings will muddle through. And we'll kind of engineer this soft landing. And I think what's good about a conference like the Market Summit is that, you know, even you take into account all the press you read, you know, you sort of start to form this consensus view. Um, but what's good about a Market Summit is it starts to force you to think about different scenarios. So on one hand, you had Jonathan Payne come out and really paint a, um, you know, sort of a, 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 a bearish scenario around a recession. You had Ron Templeton come out and sort of say, well, actually, maybe people are discounting the prospects of stagflation. So one thing I like to do is sort of think about that and use a sort of like a framework to think about how those scenarios might play out. So, you know, on one hand here, you can see on this chart, you've got sort of the concept of interest rates or inflation being higher or lower. And then the other thing is, how does that impact, you know, earnings or the economy? And, you know, if you think about sort of Jonathan Payne's sort of talk, you know, there was a lot of talk about that. Well, ultimately, um, with central banks increasing interest rates, that's going to eventually force some form of demand destruction. Uh, ergo a recession and you know the interest rates will then ultimately have to moderate and come down and that's going to impact earnings so you know that's really sort of the recessionary scenario and I think you had Ron Templeton do a reasonably good job about uh, discussing the reasons why you know maybe inflation is going to be around for um, higher for a little bit longer than expected uh, and you know who knows what happens to earnings in that situation um, and you know maybe the concept that inflation moderates but stays at a higher level was sort of the thrust of Ron Templeton's speech and, you know, that's a little bit of the stagflationary scenario and probably also a bit of the muddle through scenario there. Um, and then, you know, there's the other sort of more Goldilocks optimistic scenario, which is interest rates come down because inflation, inflation moderates. Earnings kind of do OK in that scenario. And, you know, really, this is the Goldilocks. This is Nirvana for markets. And I think the, un the undercurrent that, you know, was throughout the day, you know, depending on which sort of sessions you went to, you know, there was some sort of SIF. Um, uh, uh, sessions which you know talked about you know the macro doesn't matter it's about the fundamentals but underlying all that you think about sort of the private equity speech you know the concept that you know interest rates have had a bit of an impact but you know they're going to moderate and that'll sort of wash through and you know there is really this sort of consensus that we're going to see this peak in inflation this peak in interest rates central banks are going to sort of pull their horns in you know earnings sort of muddle through and we end up in this sort of like muddle through or soft landing type sort of scenario and I think the point is, is that, you know, if you think about all the things you read in the um, most financial press, there is a bit of a consensus sort of forming around this sort of muddle through, maybe a little bit of a recession, maybe even a prospects of a Goldilocks situation. And then really that is the sort of consensus that we're seeing. Um, and, you know, I think um, uh, um, Richard Quinn from Bentham made a very valid point is that, you know, there's some talk around, you know, the macro doesn't matter that much. Well, the macro does matter because it's the discount rate. And I think really that's, what we have to think about is that in the, under these different scenarios, if you know Ron Templeton's scenario becomes more prevalent, that inflation actually stays higher than people expect. You know, though, is the market discounting that probability? And maybe to some degree, Jonathan Payne's right, and that the market is discounting uh, a more deeper recession to some uh, to to some extent. So, I think what's great about a um, conference like Market Summits is that really sort of brings all of this together and forces you to think outside of that kind of consensus thinking. So, Phil, if I if I had to sort of push you out of all the uh, special interest forums there, you know, there's, there's generally a product sitting behind there somewhere. Given where you think things are heading and the quality of the content and, you know, what these guys are holding, which is basically what we eat at the end of the day, uh, is there anything that would stand out for you as a, as, as a good investment idea? 
Uh, obviously, I didn't go to all the SIF sessions. I attended sort of um, three of them, but uh, I thought um, Resolution's um, session was sort of interesting in the fact that uh, he talked a little bit about the disconnect between uh, a private uh, unlisted property and listed property. And, you know, we discussed the prospects of how does that um, divergence um, get um, converge. Uh, and, you know, sort of the sort of takeaway there was that to some extent, probably unlisted asset values need to sort of be revised downwards. It's not necessarily that listed will go up. Maybe they meet somewhere in the middle, but that was sort of interesting. Um, so it had some sort of bearing in terms of the sort of uh, inflation and interest rate outlook there. Actually, just before you move on to the next one, I think that's super interesting in that, you know, uh, the the listed crowd have probably had a hard kind of QE environment the last 10 years, uh, keeping up with, you know, especially in terms of risk adjusted in terms of no volatility. And you kind of wonder now how many industry fund uh, real estate direct managers wouldn't mind just swapping some of those uh, holdings for what you can get in the listed market, but that's the point about illiquidity. You couldn't. That's that's kind of what he was getting at without saying it a little bit, do you think? Yeah, and I think there's probably an element of that. And also, um, you know, they're stuck in a rock and a hard place. They can't uh, knowingly admit that those asset values are probably a little bit overvalued. And, you know, maybe the market is discounting the um, the a little too much. But, you know, the point being is there is a massive disconnect there that some at some point needs to converge and usually does. And ultimately an opportunity for advisors. Yeah. I interrupted you. What, what was the other thing? You uh, the, the other session that I went to was um, the Seferia Global Small Companies, which, um, you know, talked a bit about a little bit about the macro doesn't matter. Um, and I think built a, a reasonable case for the fact that, you know, in in underlying all of this there's still plenty of opportunities out there that if you're willing to sift through um, you know that you know valuations in some individual stocks actually remain attractive for the level of growth and that they can you know outgrow whatever macroeconomic environment that we may see here um, but it is worth bearing that in mind in terms of these different scenarios we've talked about no that's great super interesting thanks for that Phil. all right all right thank you so we've just heard from Phil. What was my take? Actually pretty similar, as you might expect. Um, we've been talking about scenarios, and here we've got some sort of core scenarios. Uh, they're the ones that are most likely with the big bars there and the different colors show how they've been evolving. But JP's presentation did make me think about how much weight we were putting on that lower probability, severe credit event um, scenario. Now the smaller ones bear watching because even though there's a smaller probability, probably, uh, if they happen, they tend to be higher impact because that's exactly how the rest of the world's thinking about them. You get surprised. And then the other thing with this is on the compared to the more benign ones is you get these knock on effects, uh, these um, sort of things that come from left field, grey swans that turn into black swans, the things that we couldn't even imagine in the uh, techno parlance. So, you know, JT's presentation um, was talking about a lot of these indicators and I was furiously sort of Googling away uh, or actually on the, the, the St. Louis Fred database, which is quite good. You can put some of this stuff in, match it with recessions. And, you know, he's, he makes good points. Um, this is the, the yield curve, the slope of the yield curve. So 10 minus twos, whenever this number is negative, long-term rates are lower than short-term rates, implying that bond markets are seeing some rapid easing in the future, probably because uh, they've seen some dark clouds and those things eventuate. And yet the bond market quite often gets this right, you know, negative uh, sloping yield curve, and then you get a recession. And, you know, this is why uh, it has a reputation as being a good indicator of recessions. And then things like uh, JP was talking about, so the housing starts every time they fall off a cliff, quite often uh, bad things happen 
uh, shortly afterwards. And even unemployment, you might say, well, um, you know, there's lots of jobs around, the economy's healthy. Well, you know, eventually the Fed will do something to break that because it's a sign of an overheating economy. And yet, even the good news kind of often leads to uh, bad news. As you see these grey shaded areas, recessions, uh, good news turns to bad news because the Fed has to tighten and afterwards we'll argue about whether they had to or not. Um, but we'll never really know the counterfactual. That's the problem that these guys face. But one thing did occur to me, uh, my main takeaway in uh, that scenario was, or, or that session, was actually the one difference this time around is quite often stock markets tend to fall as the recession happens. And quite often the recession gets post-dated. We look back and we were already in the recession. The markets were still going higher sometimes. But generally, um, the advent of the recession seems to mark um, the, uh, the, the, the beginning of the fall in markets. And this time has been different. So I just borrowed this chart from someone on the internet. Uh, thank you, Advisor Perspectives. But you can see similar shaded areas. So the fact that we've had sort of 20% falls for a lot of markets last year, maybe that takes uh, some sting out of the market impact of this stuff, maybe. So that's some of the things we're going to watch out for. Um, we look at the things through a valuation lens and it tends to pick that up. But just really to echo um, uh, Phil's thoughts, um, that, uh, you know, this is probably, if we're thinking about these scenarios, stagflation, Goldilocks, hard landing as the uh, core scenarios, um, JT was definitely down here or maybe even a bit further down there in the more sort of severe area. Uh, Ron Temple, there was a little bit of stagflationary stuff there, a little bit of muddle through. I'd sort of put him here and um, Dan Iverson from PIMCO, probably more in the consensus, the muddle through. And uh, I'm going to let JT talk a little bit more about that before we come back and talk about some uh, of the special interest forms. Thank you. So, JT, what have you retained? What's what's the you know key takeaway, especially from a macro perspective in the first instance, did, did you think? Sure. So, look, a, a lot has been said already about um, Ron Temple and, and Jonathan Payne. So I thought I would focus on, on something a little bit different. I thought it was uh, just uh, equally important. Um, and that was the third session that followed Danny Vassins from PIMCO. Um, and if you're trying to put back into the global macro context, essentially, Dan Everson was saying uh, where we are positioned, you know, fixed interest for the first time in, you know, 12 to 18 months um, is attractive again. Um, it has gone through a terrible year, but now it's positioned to do well under various scenarios. And more specifically, if you look at kind of the recession scenario, um, that would be a, definitely a scenario that uh, would uh, be beneficial for duration more generally. Um, but at the same time, a little bit dangerous for credit. And so I think that's where he was kind of trying to position himself, like be a little bit careful on credit, uh, probably uh, favor a higher grade um, fixed interest instrument. And in the case of PIMCO, uh, that sounds like a lot of, they found that value in, in the structured products land um, and, uh, and keep some duration, maybe a little bit underweight duration because uh, there's still a risk of rising interest rates, but overall you want to have some duration in the portfolio. And, and the interesting contrast was with, with the, um, the session that I attended immediately after that, where Gopi from uh, Ardea presented the completely opposite case. And, and from Gopi's perspective, it was uh, if, you, if you introduce duration into your portfolio today, uh, or if you introduce traditional bonds in, in, in your portfolio today, essentially you're making a one-way, uh, almost speculative bet on the direction of inflation and direction of rates. 
And why would you do that when it's like the big unknown that, you know, everybody's arguing about? No one really knows where inflation is going and rates are going and they could go higher and they could go lower. Why would you make that bet when you can access, you know, a strategy like Idea, uh, which is a more absolute return relative value uh, using the same instruments? Um, look, what I thought was interesting is like stepping back from, from, from those two opposite viewpoints um, is that from a portfolio construction perspective, and especially in the context of multi-asset portfolio, um, I think it would be hard today to avoid those, you know, those two things. But I think, I think you, you need to have those two things in your portfolio. You probably need to have some duration if you're holding equities, because at the end of the day, that will be an effective hedge um, today as it is priced. It will be an effective hedge against equities in, in, in a recession scenario. Uh, but at the same time, you probably want to mitigate that somehow uh, for the risk of continually rising rates and, and have something like an idea um, in there as well. So, so you're, you're kind of saying there's room for both uh, in, in, in the portfolio, but this is really for the sort of muddle through scenario, really. It's not, uh, you know, too stagflationary or too, too recessionary. Yeah, it's, it's um, you, you know, the, the ideal scenario for which you want to hold both is the muddle through scenario. But in the absence of certainty on either one of them, you know, you know, I, I wouldn't make a bet on one in, in particular, basically, yeah, right? If yeah. you know, the duration is a big bet on the recession scenario, um, the, the, the other relative value strategy is a big bet on high inflation rising rates. Um, why, you know, what, what, unless you have a particularly very strong view on that and, and you almost mm. know the answer. Uh, then I think it, it makes mm. a lot of sense to to hold both. Mm. That's interesting. That's uh, that was the one takeaway from uh, Dan Leach, one of our analysts. Was uh, it really resonated the comment that Gopi made? I wasn't in the session, but he was saying basically where things are at the moment. It only makes sense if you've got a view, and there's so much uncertainty around. Even Jerome Powell doesn't want to take a view, so therefore, you know, why should you? And I think he was sort of leaning more on the sort of Gopi's argument, but you know, mm. that's the. Um, I think that's a good point, but I think the, the, the situation changes a little bit if you consider it from the perspective of multi-asset portfolio that also holds equities, yeah. in which case, yeah. you know, duration does act as a hedge under certain, you know, scenario like recession. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. Um, so um, if, if I was to push you across those three, uh, first yeah. of all, you know, I, I think I'm sort of, you know, on that, on that matrix we've got, we've got... Um, that I've seen sort of more in the sort of muddle through a little bit of Goldilocks going on there. Um, where would, where, you know, where would you put yourself amongst those, 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 those three presenters uh, personally? And then, you know, thinking of the, the product, uh, well, I should say the special investment, uh, special interest forum presentations, which there's, you know, there's a product there somewhere in the background. Um, mm -hmm. You know, which, which of those do you think uh, resonated the most given that view? Yeah, sure. So, uh, so look, maybe not not, not that, that much of an original view, but um, I think um, a lot of it depends on your timeline. I think that's something that's that's been said and repeated, but I think it's very true. Um, personally, and if you push me into a corner, uh, I think that the, the recession scenario is quite likely to occur to some extent um, in, in the US and in Australia. Um, and, but that is probably more of a short term view, right? So a short to medium term view. So if you want to play that, you know, that, 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 that would be my thing. More longer term, um, I think the Ron Temple view of structurally higher rates and structurally higher inflation um, uh, holds a lot of sway. Uh, and so you can either, you know, go the Ron Temple way and kind of buy and hold that view. 
uh, even though yeah. you know you might have it might be quite volatile on the way through uh, or you might want to try and play the, uh, the the recession on the on the more short term uh, mid term basis um, on the other two sessions that I attended apart from uh, Gopi's one um, one was uh, from Ekaterina Bigos from AXA uh, essentially she, she presented on the you know the case for thematic investing which you know nowadays is another word for growth investing basically um and um and look she, she made a, a compelling case um and I, and I think a lot of the growth investors were saying you know we got hit hard by um rising interest rates that's unlikely to happen again uh but yet those themes are structurally higher growth themes are still here in the economy and so uh, now is a good time to take advantage of them I'd, I'd say I'm probably yet to be convinced on that one um so that's uh, that, that that's um, on, on that side on the other side i also attended the tassos uh, stasopoulos uh, um session on, on on emerging markets uh which you know in a way is is also has a lot to do with growth investing as well just under a very different kind of lens um and uh and i think that that was probably a bit more uh i was a bit more convinced probably because of the the starting point valuation which i think is a it, it kind of acts as almost a a, a floor um, into mm. um, into how, how far things can can go badly again for emerging markets. Mm. Mm. Now that's great, thanks, JC. I particularly liked your comment about the chronology of it. That you can either kind of try and time these things and sort of take JP's comments, which you know some of them are difficult to argue with, or if you're going to buy and hold, you know you wear some pain on the way through, and there's probably less to do. That's a I think I think it's a good way of thinking about it. Thanks very much, JT, and um, pleasure. I will see you very soon. I'm sure. See you soon. Bye, Joe. So just to finish off, I'm going to talk about some of the special interest forum sessions that I went to. But as a bit of a segue, there was one in the Critical Issues Forum, Nick Monroe of Griffin, talking about um, one company in particular, but it was emblematic of a theme. A lot of these tech companies that were trading at very high multiples still have the same industry positioning, which is very powerful. Um, and ASML was given an example. Um, and they've still got the growth prospects, but you're paying a much lower valuation. And it just seems a, a little bit more feasible that you're going to make money out of that situation. Now, funnily enough, in the special interest forum, uh, Nikki Thomas of Magellan used exactly the same example. And, you know, sometimes when we see people doubling up in portfolios, you know, we wonder whether there's a bit of consensus there or is it just, you know, two votes are better than one. Um, well, in this case, with valuations looking compelling, uh, both of them made quite a compelling um, case around the industry structure. I thought the interesting thing there was more about sort of growth um, and, and that theme and paying a reasonable multiple for it and the ability for these managers to go out and find those those um, those opportunities, which aren't necessarily, even though SML is a big company, the biggest in the, in, in the index and be a little bit discerning because, you know, there's still uh, some fizz out there, probably. Um, now, right at the other end of the spectrum, Julian McCormick from Platinum, uh, first of all, started off with a fairly sort of philosophical take on uh, investing in Asia and China in particular, which I thought was really interesting and, you know, really encouraged you to sort of think a little bit different. Now, one of the interesting things that came out in this session was the, the specifically and very, you know, contrarian um, idea and hats off to them for putting it out there. You know, China residential real estate. Well, you know, everything has a price. And, and basically the point being made here is that um, it actually hasn't been that volatile the last year. It's actually held its value. Um, and as it keeps on earning quite strongly, it gets cheaper and cheaper. So, you know, if you can get past some of the issues that people have got about investing in China, maybe there is a re really big opportunity there. And that's definitely not big in the indexes. So 
last presentation, uh, Will Crutane of Milford. Now, you know, to some extent, you know, it was kind of encouraging to see an Australian equity manager um, sort of talking about some of the difficulties investing in his asset class over the next year. You know, specifically the fact that the RBA um, is, as he said, perhaps going to have to crash the party in a way that people haven't fully anticipated. So, you know, a rocky year potentially for Australian equities, um, but long term, again, being the beneficiary of some of these big mega trends. Um, so I thought there was an element of realism there. Now, they're an absolute return uh, farm manager, so they've got a little bit of um, capacity to deal with those ups and downs. Um, but overall, you know, this this wasn't about incremental alpha. Our process is better than another one. These were all about sort of opportunities that are sitting out there in active management land that people seem to be grasping. So that's, the, I think, the thing that would tie all this together, um, that they are representative of the themes that we were talking about at the beginning. But also, um, as Graham has intimated, there is tangible signs of there being a uh, opportunity for active management. Well, let's hope so. And uh, we look forward to the next conference in six months, the Strategies Conference, where we'll talk more about these scenarios and uh, some of the product ideas that you can fit in around them. Thank you. Mm -hmm.